Hi, welcome. It's Smart Talk, and it's episode three. And on today's show, it's Jordan Millette and Joshua Tesler. And uh, and Jordan, how is it going today, buddy? It's going good. Um, starting to watch a lot of hockey now that all the leagues are kicked off. Um, lots of lots of lots of games to catch up on. Slowly getting there, but uh, it's been a fun, exciting start of the season, and looking forward to keep on watching. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've, you know, I mean, I have definitely enjoyed, um, you know, the, you know, the start to the CHL season so far. Um, and, uh, and let's kick things off with the WHL. So in recent news, Luke Prokop, um, who is a Nashville Predators prospect, was traded from the Calgary Hitmen to the Edmonton Oil Kings the other day. And it's, you know, and it's a great sign for um, Edmonton Oil Kings fans. Um, as the Edmonton Oil Kings are loading up on talent. You know, they've already got uh, Dylan Genther, who's an Arizona Coyotes prospect. They've got Jake Neighbors, who's a St. Louis Blues prospect. Sebastian Cosa in net, who, you know, who arguably, um, you know, who arguably, I mean, and it, you know, I mean, and it really, really depends on who you ask, but, you know, but he, you know, but he, you know, he was either the top, yeah, he was either the top goaltender prospect in the 2021 draft, or um, or the second right behind Jesper Wallstedt. Um, you know, and and the Edmonton Oil Kings just have a lot of good depth to, um, you know, and a lot of good kids who you know who weren't you know who weren't drafted, but um, you know, but you know, but still bring a lot of pr- pr- production to that squad. Um, and, uh, you know, and, you know, and the Edmonton Oil Kings have, um, you know, have done well to begin the year and, uh, you know, in adding a great kid like Luke Prokop, um, you know, to, you know, to their blue line is certainly going to be a great fit. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, and I love that the Edmonton Oil Kings are making trades now and are aggressive out of the gate as they try to load up, um, you know, and prepare for the WHL playoffs. And, um, you know, and, you know, fingers crossed um, for Edmonton Oil King fans, you know, that the Edmonton Oil Kings will be able to make it to the Memorial Cup. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that. Uh, The Memorial Cup was announced a couple weeks ago that it will be held in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, so the home of the St. John Sea Dogs. So, um, so at this point, we know that at least one team will be in the Memorial Cup, and that is the St. John Sea Dogs. So, um, so hopefully, we will see the Edmonton Oil Kings there as well. Um, next up on the list, unfortunately, Matthew Soma couldn't uh, couldn't join in today and talk about the Winnipeg Ice, but um, you know, but there have you know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Matthew Sapois and Connor Geeky and, you know, and who is the better prospect, um, you know, and, you know, and when I watch both of them, I mean, you know, and, you know, and I want to be blunt, there is a lot to like about both of them. I just think that when you've got a guy like Matthew Savoie, you know, he's, um, you know, he is very, very much a playmaker. He's crafty with, the puck and Connor geeky on the other hand, you know, he's, you know, he is a, a power forward. Um, 
you know, there are some concerns about his acceleration, his speed, but, you know, but he's, um, you know, but he can be a beast in transition and he, you know, and he loves to go to net front. Um, there was a clip that Tony Ferrari uh, from the Hockey News posted the other day of Connor Geeky going from zone to zone, um, driving up the ice and scoring. I think it was against Prince Albert. And, you know, when I look at clips like that, I, you know, um, you know, while, you know, while Connor Geeky has shown, you know, how, you know, how much of a great power forward he can be, you know, it's, you know, it's often hard to judge, you know, when you're looking at Connor Geeky going against defensemen who, you know, just aren't really putting up a great amount of uh, defensive effort, you know, at, um, you know, from the blue line out. And when I saw that play, I mean, Connor Geeky was able to get past the Prince Albert defenders with, I mean, with ease. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't that hard for him to, um, you know, to break out past them. And, um, you know, and, you know, and I, and at this point, like, I just, I just can't see, I just can't see why you would make the argument that Connor Geeky is a, um, is a prospect with higher upside. Because I mean, when you, I mean, when you look at Matthew Savoie, what, you know, what he's able to do on the forecheck and his craftiness, like those are, I mean, like those are just, like those are just the elements that you just don't really see in Connor Geeky's play. And, you know, and I, and at this point, I mean, I just have a hard time thinking like, you know, um, you know, that Connor Geeky is the better prospect, but with that being said, um, stay tuned because Matthew Soma, who is, um, who is smart scouting his WHL scout is going to be putting together a post talking about Connor Geeky and Matthew Savoie and really going in on the differences in their playing style and what you know, and what makes Matthew Savoie a um, a prospect with higher upside versus Connor Geeky. So stay tuned for that. Next up, I want to shift to the OHL. Jordan, it's time to talk about Shane Wright. What have you been seeing out of Shane Wright out of the gate so far? Yeah, there's a lot of chatter going on about Shane Wright right now. Um, I, I feel like with when we enter the season with a player that has been crowned the consensus number one for two, three years, and then he plays pretty good, but somewhere around the fine range, um, people get a little hesitant about him or start to question it. And my, my big takeaway from that whole narrative that's going on right now is that Maybe we shouldn't be crowning guys number one, two, three years in advance, except for like McDavid or Crosby. Um, the margins at the top of the draft are quite thin. So the difference between Shane Wright and let's say Savoy or whoever comes next um, aren't as big as we make it out to be. And so you're seeing a lot of, I don't want to say disappointment about Shane Wright right now, but um, everybody kind of entered the season with these huge expectations that he's going to be the next generational talent. And it's like, okay, he's missed the season. He was injured at the U 18s. Um, let's give, let's give the guy a break before we start writing him off. And 
he's he's played well. Um, I don't have any glaring issues, but I just think maybe expectations were set a little too high to think that this guy was going to enter the season and just wow everybody. Um, so maybe a little bit unfair to him, but let's see how the season progresses before we we write the guy off. And um, of course, he's a top top one two. You can maybe argue um, in this draft. So let's give it some time. Yeah, you know I. You know, and what people forget too is that I mean, the OHL didn't I mean like didn't have a season last year, and so you know there is going to be, you know, it's kind of weird to call it a hangover, but it's but it's a little bit of a hangover, so to speak, because I mean Shane Wright, you know, aside from you know aside from playing U eighteen hockey, um, you know he you know he really hasn't played that much competitive hockey you know, over, you know, over the last year or so. And so, you know, for, you know, for, you know, for guys like Shane Wright, you know, and other OHL prospects, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta give them a little bit more time. I mean, what, I mean, they've only played what, like a handful of games at this point, you know, I, you know, I could pick apart Shane Wright right now and talk about some of the things that I've liked in those, you know, in those first few games and some of the things that, you know, have, you know, have caught me by surprise a little bit, but, you know, it's still, but I mean, it's still pretty early on. And, you know, the only thing that I can really, really think of that I saw, um, you know, that I saw in Shane Wright recently was that his passing accuracy has been a little bit off. Um, but that's, I mean, like, but that is like my biggest bone to pick and, you know, and at this point, like, you know, I, I really don't want to put way too much stock in terms of his early season play. Next up, I want to talk about Tucker Tynan. So Tucker Tynan missed on, I believe it was half of the season back in 2019, 2020. And um, unfortunately for Tucker Tynan, he was cut um sorry he was cut from a skate blade uh right near an artery on his leg and um and i and i remember watching that game and that was probably the scariest uh goaltender uh injury that i have ever seen i think the i think the other one was i think it was like the atlanta thrashers and like the washington capitals like years and years ago and we have the Thrasher's goaltender was Andre Pavlich. And Pavlich just randomly fell to the ice randomly. Like he, um, like it wasn't a result of contact. And that, and that was scary to see as well. But in this case, I remember hearing reports that like Tucker Tynan, um, you know, that when he was being transported by the EMTs, that you know, that he came very, very close uh, to, you know, to losing his life as the cut was extremely close to his artery. And, um, you know, and to see him come back this year and rebound, I mean, I, I mean, I saw him play against Barry uh, live and, and he, and he looked flawless. I mean, he only allowed one goal in that game and, um, and that goes by Oscar Olausen, uh, the Colorado Avalanche prospect. And, you know, for, you know, for the most part, I mean, Tucker Tynan had a shutout going until, I want to say like five minutes left in like the third period. 
and you know he was flawless he was quick um you know and he you know and he was just making great great pad stops um you know and it was you know and it was great to see Tucker Tynan rebound um you know like you know like he has and um you know and I definitely look forward to seeing more out of Tucker Tynan the other kid that really really caught my eye in Barry was Hunter Height and what I and what I really really like about Hunter Height is that you know his footwork, his his acceleration, um, you know his ability to um, you know to find open ice in the defensive zone as well as the offensive zone, and just you know and you know and just look for ways to pick up pace and you know and carry the puck up the ice. Um, you know, I very, very much like, I very, very much like my viewing of Hunter Height. And what, you know, what caught me by surprise was that in the game against Niagara, you know, I mean, Barry was losing, I want to say four nothing until pretty much like, you know, uh, five, you know, five minutes left in the third. And I, you know, and if I was coaching Barry, what I would have done is I would have moved Olausen up and I would have had Olausen play with Hunter Height and Ethan Cardwell. I mean, like those, I mean, like those three guys, you know, are easily, you know, are easily the top guys on Barry in terms of the forward group. And, you know, and I, you know, and I'm always, I am always big into, you know, if you are down by a few goals at the end of the game, load up, your lines load up your lines because it is the best shot that you have to win. And, you know, and I, in what I saw in Hunter height, I, you know, I see similar attributes in Ethan Cardwell and, you know, and it is no wonder that Barry loves both of them. And, um, you know, and with a guy like all Lawson who, you know, who has a great shot, um, you know, I you know I would definitely love to see those those three guys paired together, and you know, and hopefully at some point we see that more consistently out of Barry. Yeah, I mean, Alausen was a a great get in the import draft. I think HV seventy one. It would be nice if Mikael was here to correct me, but I think HV seventy one was relegated last year, and then in order to get back up in the SHL for the following season, they went and signed a bunch of guys. So Alaus wasn't going to get a ton of ice time. Um, so definitely a great get by Barry in the import draft to go and find a, a legit NHL prospect just because he's not going to get ice time in his home team that he was at. So um, he should torch the league this year, score a whole bunch of goals because yeah, he does have the shot in the hands um, to really put the puck in the net. So he, he was one of my favorite players in last year's draft. So definitely excited to see him in the OHL this year and, uh, in a spot to just absolutely go nuts and score a bunch of points. And next up, I want to, I want to transition to the QMJHL. Tyler pedal, who was named in the video trial players of the week category. And uh, Jordan, what are your initial thoughts on Tyler pedal? Yeah, that uh, the first night of the Q season, I was uh, just sort of bouncing around from game to game, getting a feel of everything and looking up players names when they kind of stood out 
And uh, most of those players happened to be 19, 20 year olds, as you'd expect. Um, but it was a big kind of wow moment when I saw pedal a couple times and then looked up his age and saw he was a D minus one. There was a lot of plays of him controlling the puck in the neutral zone, showing confidence, trying to, to make moves and beat defenders. And uh, overall, just like a good combination of size and skill um, that he was showing, which was very impressive as like a 16 year old. Um, he scored a bunch of goals last week. Um, so definitely not surprised that he was named player of the week or on the team of the week and uh, quite excited for him moving forward. Because as I said, like seeing a 16 year old contribute that early in the season and uh, sort of make a name for himself is quite impressive. And speaking of the Drummondville Voltigers, they also have Justin Cote and Maverick Lamuru. Um, and what are your initial thoughts on uh, Cote and Maverick? Yeah, so I'll start with Cote, and I guess I'll start by saying that all of these players have only watched once and probably a half of games, so definitely an early thought on them. So um, definitely room for me to change my opinion, but uh, Justin Cote definitely zips around a lot, and you see him kind of move his feet and go nuts around, and he forechecks quite relentlessly. Um, he has a pretty strong shot, and he definitely likes to use it. He's more of a shoot-first kind of guy. Um, I, I noticed a few times on the breakouts, he was getting the puck, controlling it, looking for options and executing breakouts pretty smoothly. So that was nice to see, but there wasn't too many chances at five on five he was creating, which made me a bit skeptical of his overall game and kind of outlook moving forward. Um, most of his contributions came on the power play. Um, so I, I want to like him. He skates around really fast and, um, is a small guy and I kind of tend to lean and vouch for the smaller guys. So I, I want to like him more, but there wasn't enough at five on five for me to say that I love him quite yet. So I'll definitely keep an eye out for him moving forward. Um, but not quite sold yet, uh, to staple him as my boy for the year. And on his teammate, uh, Maverick Lamaru, um, I, I may have entered him with kind of false expectations or uh, thinking he was better than what he was. And that's not really his fault. I, I When I saw he was ranked in like the top 20 by, I think it was Butner McKenzie, um, kind of my expectations were probably improperly set. Um, but the game I did watch, he kind of struggled with retrievals. And when the puck was dumped in behind him, he was struggling on breakouts. Um, his passes weren't crisp and were kind of all over the place. Um, he tend to shoot from the point a lot without really looking for passing options. And he was prioritizing hits a little bit too much in situations that I felt weren't great. Um, he was the, the one main positive I saw that he was very active on the pinch and successful in doing so. Um, but there's a lot of issues I would like to see, especially um, with the puck that I think he can improve on to make me uh, really improve my, my feeling on him. I think, had I thought he was a second or third round pick entering my viewing of him, I may have had a different perception. But when you enter seeing a guy in like the top 20 range, you kind of have high expectations. And I guess I was a little bit disappointed. Um, and the other QMJHL uh, prospect that I want to touch on a little bit is uh, Nathan Gauthier, who, uh, who plays for the Quebec Remparts. And, um, you know, and uh, as we talked about earlier, you know, the, you know, with the Edmonton Oil Kings loading up in the WHL, the Quebec Remparts are definitely another team to, um, 
you know, to look at as a potential Memorial Cup candidate. Um, you know, just, I mean, just given the depth that they have, you know, I mean, they have guys like, um, you know, Gauthier, uh, Teo Rochette, uh, James Malatesta, you know, they are, you know, they are very, very uh, well loaded up in terms of their forward group. And, you know, and don't forget that they have um, Evan Nels too, uh, defensively. But in terms of Nathan Gauthier, I definitely see a solid power forward center. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't think, you know, I think he's got more third line upside. Um, he's, you know, for me, he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Matthias uh, Sapovaliv, who is a, um, who is a Czech, uh, sorry, who is a Czech 2022 prospect. And I believe, I believe Matthias is uh, playing for the, uh, sorry, for the Sioux Greyhounds. Um but yeah, I mean, Jordan, what are your initial thoughts on Nathan so far? Yeah, I guess similar script um, as Lamaru for me, kind of your expectations entering a player when they're ranked so high. Um, you're, you're expecting a lot out of them. And I think with him, um, I, I didn't find there was a lot of pace to his game. And I felt like he was sort of just blending in a little bit at times. And he was kind of just like present. And not uh, not super involved. He made a few nice passes. Um, he was using his size down low to control the puck, um, and that was all nice to see. But there were some defensive assignments he missed that kind of led to a goal and some high danger chances against. And overall, I just think he was sort of just there. And for somebody that's ranked again so high, um, you kind of want to see them more involved and kind of jump off the page rather than just be a guy that sort of blends in to the play. And to your point, um, I, yeah, I think somewhere in like a third, fourth line center role, that's kind of where you're talking with him. And I just don't think that is really where you're using a top 20 pick on. So I think my concerns are mostly around the upside in conjunction with him being a projected mid to late first round pick. I don't think that's where I'm really excited to pick him. Um, I would want to see a little bit more upside um, to warrant a pick in that range. Yeah, and one of my biggest bones to pick with him too is that from you know from a forechecking perspective, you know I really want to see him throw his weight a little bit more. Um, you know he, he you know he will be active on the forecheck, but you know but active on the forecheck doesn't always mean that you are effective. Um, and you know and he's you know and he's got a decent amount of weight to him, and you know and if he you know, and if he can use it and put, you know, and put a ton of pressure on defenders down low, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, that is definitely key for him in terms of, you know, in terms of growing and, you know, and contributing to his offensive, to his offensive upside. And um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I would definitely love to see his forechecking, uh, you know, continue to develop, um, you know, but, uh, you know, but it has definitely been a very, very interesting beginning to the season so far, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, for several prospects in the QMJHL. Next up on the list, I want to shift over to Europe. And, um, uh, and first and foremost, uh, you know, we, you know, we've been talking about Brad Lambert, you know, quite a bit in the 
first two episodes of small talk and um and stay tuned because i will be publishing my uh my scouting report on brad lambert um hopefully it'll come out um sorry hopefully it'll, it'll come out on sunday um or monday of next week um you know and one of you know and one of my biggest bones to pick with brad so far is that you know really I, you know, really, I want to see more in terms of his shot. And, you know, there have been a lot of uh, red flags so far in terms of his shot. And, you know, and similarly to Shane, right. I think it's, you know, I think it's also, I think it's also way too early in order to put, you know, a lot of pressure on Brad in terms of his, you know, in terms of his production so far. But with that being said, Lambert has played, I mean, I can't remember the exact game total, but I think he's played around 10 to 12 games and Shane's been playing what four to five. So the, so the expectations for Lambert, you know, to start, uh, you know, to start producing a little bit more, you know, is, um, you know, is a little bit higher on Brad than it, than it is for Shane right, right now. And with, and with that said, you know, Brad, you know, I mean, Brad is a beast from a transitional perspective, but what I've seen in the offensive zone, you know, he, you know, he will struggle at times in order to capture passes, especially passes that easily could lead to one-timer shots. And, um, you know, and he very much struggles to get height on his shot too, Um, you know, and so there are a bunch of shot mechanic, you you know, components that he needs to work on. Um, but, you know, but with, you know, but with that being said, I think it's, I think it's still a little bit unfair for people to throw him under the bus at this point, you know, they're, you, you know, I mean, there's still a full season ahead for Brad Lambert and um, you know, and there are a lot of positive qualities um, that I will be touching in the scouting report. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, and in Sweden, we have seen Simon Forsmark, Ludwig Persson, and Alexander Suzdalov uh, coming out to a very, very hot start um, in the J20 national play. So for Simon Forsmark, um, you know, I watched, you know, I watched a few games, and my biggest bone to pick was. Um, you know, was trying to fend off uh, the four check, um, you know, when, you know, when he is in control of the puck in his own end, um, you know, be, you know, behind the red line, picking up loose pucks, you know, one, he's a tad slow to the puck, um, you know, and so, you know, and so while he's active on the puck, uh, sorry, on the puck from a retrieval standpoint, you know, he needs to do a better job of gaining the proper acceleration to go after those loose pucks and driving the puck out of the zone. And, you know, at times he got a little bit sandwiched and, you know, and he's definitely, you know, and he's definitely got to work on that when it comes to moving the puck um, up the ice through the neutral zone, you know, he's, you know, he's a little bit better in terms of fending off um, in terms of fending off traffic, but, you know, but from that being said, you know, if you are going to be a puck moving defenseman, you know, you really, really need to hone in on 
okay, how can I evade the forecheck, you know, and how can I evade pressure so that way I can either, uh, so that, that way I can either instill a breakout pass or, you know, or I can start driving up the ice and either look for a zone exit pass near the blue line or can, you know, or continue to go into the, the, the neutral zone and then into the offensive zone. Now, with that being said, in the offensive zone, there are, you know, there are a lot of qualities that I like out of Simon Forsmark. Um, you know, I, I saw a lovely uh, cross ice pass, um, and I believe it was near the perimeter. Uh, I think they're playing against Oscar Shaman. Um, and I pray that I said that team name right. I'm sure that Mikael and Toby uh, will be correcting me later on. But um, uh, but I loved um, sorry, but I love that cross slot pass that he had against them. I think it was back in uh, I think it was back in late September, September 24th. Um, and uh, and then moving on to Ludwig Person and Alexander Suzdalov. The guy, I mean, the guy that's really, really caught my eye so far has definitely been Suzdalov. Um, so I, you know, so, um, so against Oscar Shaman once more on October 10th, um, I, um, I was watching that game earlier this week and I love, you know, and I loved his ability to, um, you know, on the four check. Um, you know, to gain, you know, to gain control of the puck. He's not, you know, he's not always going to play you extremely aggressive and go, you know, and go right to the puck carrier and be a pest. But with that being said, in terms of his, in terms of his active stick, what I loved is his ability to basically try to, um, try to force passes um, and intercept ones um, you know, and double back into the neutral zone, um, you know, and center himself into the offensive zone, uh, you know, on a, on a controlled zone entry, um, you know, and then from there, you know, he, he can, you know, he can complete a lateral pass to a forward. And at that point, um, and then at that point, his fellow forward will basically cut to the left side and then Suze Dolph cuts to the right. And, um, you know, and when his forward is cutting to the left, um, that means that the goaltender um, is squaring up to his, um, sorry, that means that the goaltender is squaring up to, uh, up to Suzdolov's teammate. And then Suzdolov can open up uh, plenty of open ice for himself on the right side. And so he had a lovely, um, goal against Oscar Shaman when he, you know, when he was able to find that open ice on the right side and, um, you know, and he was able to give his teammate a passing lane uh, down low and, um, you know, and the goaltender was out of position and, you know, and as the goaltender was squared up on his, on his fellow teammate, it took the goaltender a little bit too long in order to make the adjustment uh, to, you know, to shift over to Suzdalov. So Suzdalov pretty much had a wide open net to play with. And um, yeah, you know, and I just, you know, and I just love what I saw out of Suzdalov coming out of the gate. With Ludwig Persson, I've, I've been seeing a lot of lateral passing at the perimeter 
and setting up goals right at the perimeter um, or, you know, or some goals, uh, you know, or some goals out of medium danger. And, um, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to peg him as a perimeter passer just yet, but a lot of the assists that I've seen so far have really been at the perimeter and, you know, and I, you know, and I would love to see Ludwig, you know, um, you know, open up passing lanes uh, down low as well, um, you know, in creating magic at that front. Um, but, you know, but I mean, with that being said, I mean, you know, as we said about Brad, uh, as we said about Brad Lambert, I mean, like there's still a way to go in terms of the uh, J20 national season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've definitely loved what I've seen out of Patterson as well in terms of his passing ability at the perimeter. Um, and the other player that I want to touch on in Europe is Ivan Mirishnichenko. So, you know, so there was a lot of talk before the, the season began, you know, which, um, you know, which player was going to be the top Russian, whether it was going to be Danila Yurov or Ivan Mirishnichenko. And unfortunately, we are at the point where Danila Yurov just isn't really getting the amount of ice time that we had hoped. And I believe that. I believe he's juggled a little bit uh, in terms of his MHL, KHL play. But on the other hand, you've got Ivan Mirchnichenko, who for the most part, and Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been playing mostly in the in the VHL, which is basically, you know, if you're going to equate it to, you know, to a North American hockey uh, pers- perspective, it's pretty much in like the middle of like the AHL junior play. It's not, you know, it's not a direct AHL comparison, but it's like somewhere in the middle. And Ivan, you know, there have been moments where Ivan has been a prolific scorer. And then there are moments where you just don't, you know, where you just don't really see that offensive upside out of him. And, you know, and he, you know, and he has found Pater in terms of his in terms of his wrist shot from perimeter, especially on the blocker side. Um, he had um, you know he had a few uh, wrist shot goals from the perimeter um, back in September. You know, but we are you know but we are really really missing the consistent offensive production out of him. And you know, and as we said with Brad Lambert and Shane Wright and Ludwig Pearson, you know, we are still early on. But with that being said, the Russians got, you know, quite a bit of a head start in terms of when they opened up their season. And so at this point, you know, you were hoping for a little bit more offensive consistency. Jordan, at this point, we're, you know, I, you know, we haven't had our initial rankings call, but, you know, what, you know, but what do you think of Ivan and, you know, and where, you know, and where do you see his upside going and, you know, and at this point, you know, um, you know, are you higher up on Europe than you are on Ivan? I can't really compare them too much. I haven't watched a ton of them. I do know I liked uh, Ivan at the U18s. He was um, a lot of fun to watch there and was kind of taking over on that fun Russian squad. Um, I mean, I think we're talking about two probably top, 10 players maybe they push for the top five um it's kind of hard to say right now with most of the leagues just kind of 
kicking off right now. But yeah, somewhere probably in the for both of them in the ten to five range. Maybe one of them pushes up closer into that uh, Wright Savoy Lambert sort of tier. Um, but I, I think it's hard to solidify in that top three or four range um, quite yet. So I'm skeptical to say top five for either of them, but uh, I think comfortably top 10, I think is fair. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, at this point, like I would probably have your off um, higher over, I mean, higher over Ivan, um, you know, but you know, but I mean, I, I still, you know, I, I still want to see, you know, sorry. I still want to see your getting, you know, at least, you know, at least 10 to 15 minutes a, a night. And so it's kind of, you know, and so it's kind of hard to judge your at this point, you know, until he's getting, you know, uh, a, a quite a bit of ice time per game. But yeah, I, I mean, I, at this point, you know, you are, you know, you pretty much have Mirosh and your in that, you know, in that top five, top 10 range, um, you know, but then, you know, but then you have guys like Joachim Kemmel, you know, who are, you know, who are definitely pushing their way up. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it'll be, you know, it'll be really, um, you know, it'll be a, a lot of fun to see what happens in our initial rankings call. Um, you know, I, um, you know, and I, you know, and I know that you are very, very high up on Joachim uh, Kemmel. And so, um, you know, and so I can't, you know, and so I can't wait to see where he's going to end up. But yeah, I, you know, at, you know, at this point, you know, we are still very, very early on and, um, you know, and there is a full season ahead for all of these kids. But, you know, as I said before, you know, I would love to see a little bit more offensive consistency coming out in Ivan's play, but, but yeah. Yeah. Paul, uh, Paul may have mentioned that, uh, or if Paul were here, you may have jumped in and said Logan Cooley, maybe his name in that sort of range. I'm not sure. I, I know he's a huge fan of him. Um, so he's another one to look out in that top kind of five to 10 ish range. So, um, I definitely think he's worth another, uh, another, another, another name worth mentioning in this area. I know Paul yeah. would have, I know Paul would have said that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, I mean, and adding to that, I think, you know, I think in, um, you know, when it comes to the, the U S national team development program and like, you know, you're also looking at guys like uh, Isaac Howard as, I mean, as well too. So, um, you know, I mean, the U S national team has been a lot of fun coming out of the gate as well. I mean, they are, I mean, they are just a loaded, loaded squad. Next up, I will be airing an interview that I conducted earlier on this week with John Kofe Ose Tutu and Bobby Goche from Puck Agency. On today's episode, we have John Oze Tutu and Bobby Goche from Puck Agency. And thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for having us, Josh. Thank you for having us. So yeah, so I yeah, so I want to talk to you guys about um, you know about the sports agent world. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and you guys had quite a few um, players that were selected in the 2021 NHL draft. Um, so I, you know, so I wanted to ask you, you know, how early on, um, you know, do you guys begin to develop these off-ice uh, agent, you know, or consultant advisor relationships with these players? So, um, it, you know, I mean, ideally, you know, if you're going to be representing NHL players, you'd hope it worked more like football where you just, you know, you start recruiting the players, you know, a few months before their drafts, you know, their season ends, you have no more NCAA compliance issues. And, you know, you help those guys with their training, get them to the combine, you know, you go to the draft and then players can sign right after the draft. Hockey's a little different. Um, I think it's probably a function of the major junior decision happening at 15 years old. Um, if there's ever a time that an elite player needs advice, it's probably do I forego, you know, the college route and go major junior in hopes of expediting my, my uh, trajectory to the National Hockey League. Um, so by virtue of that, most of the top players and maybe even some of the secondary and tertiary players have representation by the time they're 15. If you want those top guys that are going to end up being first round NHL draft picks and, you know, before that members of the U S national team or get to represent hockey Canada, et cetera, you know, the, you're going to find uh, guys like Bobby and myself down at the rink, watching players as young as 13, you know, we try to get a book, on those players and really try to understand their strengths, weaknesses, deficiencies, what kind of human beings they are, who mom and dad are. And that's a process that, that we start at 13. We usually will approach players right around their major Bantam season. Um, interestingly, though, the, the person in our group that I think is most responsible for identifying those young kids whose games are going to translate is Bobby. So, uh, you know, Bobby, I mean, maybe you want to speak on, you know, some of the yeah. things you're looking at. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, John, thank you for that introduction there. And, and Josh, just, you know, it's uh, like John said, it would be easier if we got to recruit these kids at, a, at an older age. But unfortunately, that's not the business that we're in. Um, the business that we're in right now, why we start watching kids at such a young age is because, you know, you want to be able to see these players that are going to progress in the right direction. Um, you know, there's a lot of kids that, you know, they hit puberty early. Um, they're bigger, faster, stronger. They play a North-South game and they just rely on their athleticism and strength. Um, at a younger age, what John and I really look for is we're looking for players that make guys around them better. Can players that, you know, translate down the road. Um, you know, we have some players that have been drafted in the NHL that you would have no idea that they were going to translate down the road when they were 13, 14 years old, but you know, like any book of business, right. Um, you have to do your homework. And I think it, it does start at the band of minor level handing into the band of major level um, where we're starting to see these players either, you know, transcend in the right direction or drop off. So um, I would just say overall, we're, you know, guys at a young age that have an IQ that can skate and make guys around them better. Um, those are the boxes that we're looking to check with kids that young, not, not guys that have their best hockey behind them. And do you guys find it that you guys prefer to stick to, you know, one, uh, you know, one geographic region? Not at all. Um, I live in New York, Bobby's up in Boston and 
you know, we're part of, we're two members of a team that includes, you know, agents based in British Columbia, Detroit, Michigan, um, Finland, Minnesota. Minnesota. We're, you know, so as, as a team, you know, we're, we're all always looking for new players. Uh, we pool all of our resources together. But like I said, Bobby would be the specific individual in the group who is going to get on a plane and, you know, go watch the kids up north in Minnesota or, you know, go into a tier one elite league major Bantam event in Arizona. Um, I'm still jealous of this one. Bobby was lucky enough to get to go to the Youth Olympic Games uh what was that, Switzerland a couple of years ago? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, oh, so he's out He's out in Switzerland, you know, skiing and enjoying life, and I'm standing out in negative 35-degree <laughs> weather watching Hockey Day in Minnesota. But, um, no, definitely not uh, geographically uh, focused on any region. That being said, um, we follow trends. We study We study the trends. We, we study the organizations that are developing the best players at the peewee, Bantam midget junior level. And while we are representing or advising or helping players that are 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, the big question is, where am I going to play? Where's the right place for me to play? Where's the right place for me to develop? And sometimes that means taking a young player from California and having them play as midget hockey on Long Island or, you know, taking a young player from Long Island and having them go to Shattuck St. Mary's. You know, we're we're very flexible in that way, and we're going to put the kids in the best situation for them to succeed because we're working for free for a long time for these kids. You know, yep. they're, they're 22, 23, 24 when a lot of them are signing their entry-level contract, and if they're lucky, maybe they're that age when they're signing their second contract, which then maybe we make a little bit of money off of. And, Josh, the one thing that I can add to that from a <clears throat> player development standpoint when these kids are younger um the families when they work with us they won't look back and say oh man i wish i knew then what i know now um i think john and i and our group in general do a great job of peeling the onion back and letting everybody know even if it's something that they wouldn't entertain geographically right everybody gets a little protective of their 14 year old kid um let them know what the options are that are out there so that you know if things do go right Hey, they knew what was going on. If things didn't go right, they knew what else was available to them. Um, but those are the tough conversations that we have to have and we're willing to do so. And we lay out all the options for all of our families every step of the way. You know, with the pandemic, did you guys have to like pivot, you know, and, you know, and tailor some of your conversations to, you know, to, you know, to players potentially going overseas or you know or going into new environments that they are just not really uh, comfortable with and um you know and you, you know and you know and being there as a um you know and you know in more of a support you know consultant type role um well I'll throw, i'm gonna throw this uh back to you do you are you asking more about players that are Younger players, you want to hear more about the draft eligible guys, NHL prospects, guys that are pro and maybe on the line, an American League guy that might might have an NHL opportunity. You know, I mean, because the answer somewhat deviates depending on what stage of the player's career yeah, so we're talking I, about. Um, yes, yeah, so more draft, sorry, so more draft eligible and yeah, and sorry, as well as NHL prospects. So. 
Uh, you know, I'm a big believer that the, the two most important things are opportunity and development. Um, so that might mean, you know, a player that's playing at Harvard University that's drafted by an NHL team finds out that Harvard isn't playing. And he finds out after it's too late for him to transfer to another school. I mean, like, you know, uh, we saw we saw some kids that were young enough to go play in the USHL do that. We saw some kids that, that uh, anticipated Harvard not playing and went to um, other schools, you know, and then there, there are guys like for particularly last year's season, if you were born after, or I'm sorry, if you were born earlier than the year 2000, you couldn't have played junior hockey. So now you're faced with a myriad of questions. Do I turn pro? Is it the right time for me to turn pro? Um, do I need to go to Europe? You know, how is this going to impact my rights with respect to the NHL team that's drafted me? How is this going to impact my draft status? So we we take every single player as an individual. You know, what's right for one guy might not be right for another guy. And um, particularly with with COVID, we, we spent a lot of time trying to understand what was going to be the right situation to get the most out of it for each player. Um. And that's something that I, I think we're able to do effectively because at least with respect to our agency, we, we really understand these, these athletes as human beings. We know what makes them tick. We know which coaches are going to be the right style of coaches for them. We know what their strengths are. We know what their deficiencies are. And, you know, we want every guy to get drafted as high as possible. Um, so we want to put them developmentally in the right situation, but what might be right developmentally might not be what's right to catch Josh Tesler's attention when he's putting out his 2022 first round projected draft. Um, so there, there's some, some mix of that. And that's, that's a calculus that we do every year with or without COVID. I, I would say that COVID was definitely an obstacle, um, but we stick handled around it just like everything else that gets thrown our way. Um, and um and when it comes to draft day, you know, and with, um, you know, and with how overwhelming the, you know, uh, sorry, and with how overwhelming the draft day can be in, um, you know, in, you know, in the, in the lead up to the draft day can be, um, how, you know, how do you guys set, you know, proper expectations with, you know, I mean, with players, you know, I, I know that there's, you know, I, sorry, I know that there's always going to be content out there that's, um, you know, that might, you know, that might pick on things in like a positive light and, you know, and sometimes in a negative light as well. So um, how do you go about, you know, setting realistic expectations? Um, well, um, I think this, you know, this is like probably a, a, a loaded question in that there's a lot that goes into it. And there's things that like Bobby could speak to better than I can and vice versa, or, you know, Jay Grossman, you know, just by virtue of the experience that he's had, you know, there's just there collectively. And once again, right, this isn't a one size fits all thing. We get there, but r realistically, and this is why I said, you know, Bobby could probably speak to this better, you know, we spend a lot of time with each kid working on their game. And because of that, the players, at least in our group, aren't, aren't like going through their draft year or really any year of hockey, like 
trying to figure out where they stand or like, you know, why aren't scouts talking to me or like, why aren't I on the power play? And I think that kind of bleeds right into the NHL draft. So by the time, you know, each one of like, we went to the draft this year. Well, I mean, it was a virtual draft, um, but we did have a number of players that were playing in the world junior summer showcase that happened simultaneously. So, I mean, we were there with five players that got drafted and each of them had a good feel for where they were going to get picked. You know, some players were a little disappointed to go a little lower, et cetera, but we're not focused on that. Like we are really focused on playing in the NHL. And that's like a conversation that, that Bobby could probably speak to better than I can, because he's even more involved with the, the on ice component of these kids games. Yeah. I, you know, I, like John said, I, it, it, no one has a crystal ball where we can say, Hey, you're going to get drafted in this round by this team. Um, so setting expectations is, you know, basically a lot of what John does is, you know, we always keep a, a track of who's shown interest and who's saying what to the players and, you know, how the interviews are going with the kids. But at the end of the day, it, it is like John said, right? Like we've had kids get drafted in the lower rounds that have had, you know, much better careers than guys that have been drafted in higher rounds, right? Like, um, I think the ultimate goal for our, for our agency is to make sure that we're giving the good, the bad, the indifferent to the players when we're breaking down their game. You know, and then another player that we've had that, you know, hasn't gone, didn't go uh, his first year of eligibility um, went this past year. And a lot of what went into that was there was a lot of injury, but it was, you know, what gets this kid back on the saddle? What gets his game back right? What makes him a top player in the frozen four? Um, that's attention to detail and being able to work with the player and work through their mindset of it's not about the round that I got drafted and it's not about the round I'm going to get drafted. And it's about what I'm going to do right now to get me to the NHL. Um, you know, some of the guys that have come through our agency, uh, the best players have been college free agents, never even went drafted and got to feel the power of free agency. So um, I think in a nutshell, the answer to that question is if we're doing our job and we're letting the kids know where they need to improve, let them know what they're doing well and giving them the feedback that we're getting from the higher ups, um, that's going to help them either, you know, answer the bell or not and make it to that level or not. So um, it's a lot of attention to detail. And I think that's something that we do really well because we're not an agency that goes out and recruits. I, I hate to break it down to birth years, but we don't go out and, you know, recruit 30 kids a birth year. I think we've done a really well-rounded job of keeping our niche and helping our players that are with us, that are committed to us and we're committed to them helping them exceed expectations and maximize their potential with the opportunities that they're given. Um, great, great. And Bobby, you brought up, um, sorry, and you brought up players that, you know, that had been passed on in their draft year and then drafted in the following year. Um, you know, what type of conversations are, you know, are had, you know, I mean, if you can go into depth in terms of, you know, in terms of the post, um, sorry, in terms of the post initial draft. And how do you tailor the conversation to ensure that they aren't, you know, um, so you, you know, that they aren't too down on themselves and they understand, you know, the path in terms of how to get um, 
you know, in terms of how to get to the point where they are drafted? Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't want to take credit all here myself, please, for that. Uh, John and I work, you know, hand in hand um, with a lot of that. And, you know, sometimes it's maybe me dealing with the parent more and John dealing with the player or vice versa. Um, you know, but with this player, um, John has worked very close with, with the one young man this past year that got passed up year one. Um, where I think I do a well-rounded job of maybe giving the constructive feedback with John and kind of breaking down video, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think it's really just, it's no, letting them know that just because you didn't get drafted, you're done. Um, or just because, you know, you didn't play at the power player on your junior team, you're done. Or, you know, you're starting in the number five slot on your college team as a freshman, and then you climb your way up. It, it, it's, it's positive reinforcement, um, you know, all the way through. And, and I think that's what John and I do well. I mean, we'll be the first ones to tell you if you're not playing well, um, but we'll also be the first ones to tell you the upside that you have, the potential that you have, and the things that you are doing well to help you, you know, maximize that development. But again, I don't want to take credit to all that. I do a lot of video breakdown and film, but um, that specific player, John, has been very, very close with for a long time. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think overall, you you have these kids, all of them have this dream of being drafted in the National Hockey League. But the reality is on draft day, there's only one kid that's happy, and it's the kid that goes first overall. So the second overall guys, you know, looking at the guy that goes first overall and says, oh, I'm better than him, and some guys are going to whine about it, and some guys are going to go out and prove it. So to every player that we represent that doesn't get his name called on draft day, you know, the immediate response for us is like, hey, let's go to work and – Let's let's figure out what the feedback from teams that, you know, maybe interviewed you three or four times and didn't draft you is. And let's work. That's that's what we're focused on. It's like we're just trying to keep all these kids eye on the ball. Getting drafted is awesome. It's cool for us sitting next to these players when they get drafted. But we quite honestly, we just don't give a shit about that. We want all of them to play in the National Hockey League. So if that's what they're focused on and that's what we're focused on, whatever happens on draft day, whether you're picked in the top 10, the bottom 10, or not picked at all, it's the same conversation. Back to work we go. Um, and then the, the other side of it is it's not, it's not difficult to like point out guys like Artemi, Artemi Panarin, right? Like he didn't get drafted. And the guy, like if I'm not mistaken, he had a very good world U18s. So it's not like he didn't get the exposure. Whatever the reasons were, that player didn't get drafted. Now he's one of the best players in the NHL. And he's one of numerous examples of that. Conversely, I can think of a ton of guys who are high picks and either flamed out early and played a little bit or never played. So um, I know like like Josh, like what you guys do is awesome providing or researching and, and analyzing with a, a focus on the draft. Like, to be honest, you guys are a huge, we consider you to be a huge asset to us because, you know, we get tunnel vision. We might fall in love with this player or overvalue this player. And it's, it's good to get that objective feedback. But at the end of the day, whether you're drafted at 18, 19, 20, or you're, or you're not drafted, there's a lot of work to do to get to the national hockey league. And um, John, I want to add one thing to that. And I, and I don't want to 
add too much here, but I think from a player development standpoint, um, John and I are not afraid to have conversations with players about different paths. Um, everybody thinks that they need to be in a rush to get to a certain level as quickly as possible. Um, some of our highest end players have waited to get to a certain level that everybody just loves um, or, or is just admired with. Right. So there are kids that, you know, they come out, they play an extra year, a midget um, and they listen to us and it translates. And then there's other kids that think they're in just an absolute rush to get to the USHL. They get there too early. And instead of playing 20 minutes a night in midgets, they're playing maybe three minutes a night, you know, in the USHL. Um, I literally so, had this conversation today with somebody. So I said, do you think there's ever an NHL team that has drafted a player who only played seven minutes a game in his draft year? And the answer is no shot. So, and that happens. Like kids, there's kids playing on the U.S. national team development program in their draft year that are playing 12 minutes a game. Those guys aren't the guys that get drafted. Their guys playing on the London Knights, the Chicago Steel, whatever organization we're talking about that aren't getting that opportunity. Um, and maybe those guys will get the opportunity the next year, and that might be the difference. So, you know, the narrative of this guy came out of nowhere, sometimes it's true and sometimes isn't. Sometimes they were just too deep in the lineup to show what they could do. But that is probably the most critical piece of, of what we were talking about before. It's opportunity and development. So player doesn't get the opportunity for Josh Tesler and his, and his group to, to scout him. No wonder he doesn't make Josh Tesler's top 100 list in December. Um, and, you know, and you will, so you, and you will often see a lot of kids that go undrafted um, end up in NHL player development camps. How, um, how beneficial do you I mean, do you guys perceive those to be for, um, you know, for, you know, you know, for players that were passed on. I, uh, <laughs> I think confidence is like a huge part of it. And, you know, you don't get drafted and all of a sudden Vegas calls you and says, Hey, we want you to come to our camp. Like it's awesome. I think it does well. It looks great. Kids get to wear the Jersey post on Instagram and, and all that stuff. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, that's still a really, really long ways away from actually playing in the NHL. So it's cool. Um, we have kids ask us to help them do that, and we're more than happy to. But that's quite honestly just not where our focus is. And I think that also has a little bit to do with the fact that the lion's share of our clients are NCAA players. So, you know, it, it starts and stops at development camp, whereas you have major junior kids that get to stick around and go to main camp and, you know, like I, I saw a number of kids that didn't get drafted that actually stuck around and got to play some preseason games. So I, I definitely think it's valuable, but uh, particularly for us, it's, it's not really an avenue that we've had the benefit of enjoying. How did you guys become sports agents? You know, I, I know that there's a lot of different paths um, you know, and for, you know, and for example, you know, not, you know, not everyone takes the law path, um, you know, and so I want to see how you guys got where you are and, um, you know, and if you, you know, if you guys don't mind speaking to that. 
um, it's interesting you say not everyone takes a law path because um, we're, you know, Bobby and I are, are a team. We are, we are, we consider ourselves to be like D partners in a line where we have, you know, uh, other guys in the group too. But the, but the two of us, we came into this business together. I'm a lawyer. Bobby isn't. Um, we bring different things to the table. Um, but at the end of the day, and this is the, 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 my categorical advice for anybody that wants to be a sports agent. If you know where to find the players and you know how to cultivate relationships with those players, and then you have the, the ability to, to maintain those relationships, you can do this job. It's much more challenging than it sounds, particularly for two guys that didn't play in the national hockey league or didn't have a dad that handed them a book of business after being in the business for 30 years. Um, and that's no disrespect to anybody else because everybody has to, you know, use whatever they've got to get to where they, they want to get to. But um, it's all about being able to identify and, you know, convince them to let you help them make their dreams come true. So I went to law school. I'm a practicing attorney. Um, I was a hockey coach. I was a hockey player. Uh, funny story how I actually – how I met Bobby was, uh, you know, we were both coaching at the Bantam midget level and he was trying to recruit my nephew to play summer hockey for him. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm on the other end of the phone and I'm thinking, well, this fucking guy can recruit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think maybe a year later, we started having conversations about getting involved in this business. And here we are. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, I second everything John just said. Um, you know, I, I when he when he came to me, I was a little uh, like, "Hey, like, what? What do you mean? What are we gonna do here?" He's like, "You know, you can recruit. Like, let's partner up." And I was like, "Oh man, like, this seems like a lot." Um, and that, then I started talking to some of the pretty high end kids that I was coaching at the midget level. I was very fortunate to uh, have a have two very good mentors um, that were very good midget coaches helped me out. And we were coaching some really high end kids. And I was just kind of chatting with them about, Hey, what do your advisors do for you? This, that, and the next. And then I went back to John. I was like, I can do this. So, you know, like, let's go. And then from there it was, uh, we came in together and, you know, we met Jay and, and that's that. So that's it. Thank you so much for hopping onto the podcast. Where can our listeners find the Puck Agency Twitter handle and um, and website? Uh, so you can find, I mean, me individually, my Twitter handle is at John Ozzy220ZZYTUTU. Um, Puck Agency, the website is simply just puckagency.com. And let me make sure I have the Twitter handle correct here. Yeah, at Puck Agency is uh our companies and then bobby if you want to share your own twitter my handle twitter, as well yeah my twitter is at bobby g08 um i tend to retweet and like a lot john tends to do the tweeting for us uh, <laughs> he's more of the social media guy um uh, yeah so i'll leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> I'm, def I'm definitely uh, more active on, on social media than, than Bobby is, but uh, <laughs> that, that's why I have a good balance here. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
I hope I hope you had a lot of fun uh, listening up on uh, on on players in the CHL and over in Europe.